Hello, Freedom House. Good morning. You guys doing all right today? Well, my name is Olin. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Olin Carter, and I, and I probably know most of you, but for those of you that I have never had the pleasure of meeting, um, I am uh, been here for, I lose track, about 12, 13 years. Uh, my beautiful wife, Tammy, sitting right up here on the second row. Raise your hand up. Identify yourself. Identify yourself. She does, she does not like spotlight, so yeah, I have to be careful there, but uh, if I made her stand up, she'd throw her shoes at me, but uh, that's all right, I'm fast, but uh, you know, two, two kids, and just, just you know, love being a part of Freedom House, this is my family, this is my church, and I'll never forget my first service at Freedom House, can you guys remember your first service? I, I had been in a church for probably, um, gosh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years, long time. And God had just called us to, to, to a new chapter, you know, and we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing. And uh, for six months, we, we visited churches. We didn't know where God was leading us. And I'll never forget walking into a, a small school like this, coming into worship and, and sitting in the back and just watching people worship. And just I bawled like a baby the whole service. I'll never forget that. And I told Tammy after the service, I said, this is it. This is going to, you know, that this was home. And you ever just know? I, I just knew, you know, that this was home. Yeah, it was home for me. So Freedom House is special to me. And, you know, I count it an honor to be up here. I am part of the teaching team. And, you know, I think it's pretty awesome that we have pastors that empower leaders around them. Amen? Give give our pastors a hand clap. Um, I can tell would never and. I've been in a lot of churches that the pastors would never do that, would never relinquish that or trust other people. And, you know, it's just amazing that they do that. So it's just an honor to be up here with you guys today. And who can tell me, shout it out, what's the series we're in? House Party. You guys enjoying House Party? Involved, getting connected. Yes, we got it all summer long. Are you guys getting involved, getting connected in a house party? Anybody in a group? Yes, yes. Good, good, good. So you need to get involved. You need to get in a house party. This is a great series. Um, and, you know, what I'm going to do today, um, you know, and I, I might need a, I, I'm, I'm coming after some tomatoes at me or something, but I, I'm, I'm coming after some of our American culture today. Is that all right? Is that all right today? I know we come to church. We want to get charged up, right? We want to get excited. We want to, you know, get encouraged but I might step on your toes a little bit today. Is that okay? Man, I, I, I've been preparing for this message and just uh, really convicting me of areas in my life where in the past sometimes I've been hot, but maybe my life where in the past sometimes I've been hot, but maybe now I've gotten lukewarm. Can I get an amen? Anybody else sometimes? And you know, God has a way of having that now word that we need. So what I'm going to talk about today, yesterday, Mark Ramsey touched on a lot of what I'm going to talk about today, yesterday, at Central Campus. So you know what? That just tells me the Holy Spirit has a word for us, right? God wants to shake us. God wants to keep us moving. And you know what? I believe that this word today, for some of us, is going to energize us, is going to ignite something in us and take us to another level. Amen? Amen? So what I'm talking to you about today is called an inconvenient truth. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about global warming. Some of y'all will get that later. But a 
I'm not going to talk about that. But say inconvenient truth. You know, as Americans, we love. How many of you, when you're on the interstate and somebody pulls over or somebody's wrecked or somebody's on the side of the road and somebody pulls over or somebody's wrecked or somebody's on the side of the road and everybody just slows down to a crawl. Does that not test your Christianity? I don't understand it. I mean, I really don't. And maybe somebody here after service, if you get how that works, please explain it to me. But I don't understand. Like there's a car on the side of the road. They're not in the lane. You can drive past. It's okay. But people just stop. It seems like every time I'm going to my main office for a meeting, it, it, this happens. I'm going down 480. That is not convenient. South Charlotte, and all of a sudden it's a parking lot. That is not convenient. Can I get an amen? Nobody likes traffic, right? Traffic is not convenient. It will test your Christianity, right? I, I don't like it. Um, one, of, one of the most inconvenient things ever, and some of you might have this experience, some of you might not. In my old office years ago, we had a group, we were very tight-knit, and we had a, I don't know how many people, maybe seven, eight people, and we loved to go to lunch together a lot. And if we didn't have appointments or whatever, we would all go out and go to lunch somewhere. It would take lunch, right? You ever had that experience? Well, where do you want to go? Well, we to lunch, right? You ever had that experience? Well, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And, and I have that sometimes now after church on a Sunday. Don't say it. We got a friend of ours, Debris. We got some other friends that don't say it. We got a friend of ours, Debris. We got some other friends that sometimes we'll go out to lunch after a Sunday. And, man, it's like a battle trying to figure out where are we going for lunch. And I'm like, I don't care. Y'all pick. And they're like, but we don't want to pick. Where do you like? I don't know. Where do you like? Where would you prefer today? I'm putting you first. And I'm like, I'm going to put my foot up your... Somebody just pick a place, right? Like, I just, I'm hungry. Let's go eat. That's not convenient. Can I get an A? We're used to, I don't like that, right? As Americans, we're used to our life to just be easy, to just flow, to just be convenient, right? Do I have any parents in the house? Man, a couple. Raising kids is not convenient. Amen. It's worth it. It's an investment, right? But it is not convenient, right? Some things in life are not meant to be convenient. Staying in shape. Staying in shape is not convenient. That's why I call my, my assistant at work. She, I, I know lots of people, my, my assistant at work, she loves to run, and she's always like, oh, I pulled my hammy, my foot's hurt. She had to go to the doctor the other day. She had some bone spur or something. I'm like, you know what? I have never pulled my ham hamstring sitting on the couch watching golf on Sunday. Not once. Never pulled a hammy. That, that exercise stuff will kill you. But you know, it's not convenient. Staying in shape, it really will. It's staying in shape is not convenient, but it's worth it. Here's a good one. Budgeting. Who likes to budget? I'm in finance. I deal with numbers all day. I hate going through your bills, coming up with some kind of spreadsheet, using some, my gosh, right? It's not convenient, but you know what? If you don't do it, you get yourself into some trouble, right? And so there are things in life that are not convenient, but that are necessary. We love convenience, but convenience is not always good for us. And I've got a statement for you today, and if you, you get anything out of what I'm saying today, this is the key thing. If being a Christian for you is 
vineyard. You are doing it wrong. If a Christian for you is convenient, you are doing it wrong. That's how it works. When God dropped that in my spirit, I was like, because you know what? Sometimes I have a way of making my Christianity convenient. I want to fit Jesus into my schedule. I want to fit him in where I want him to be when I want him to be there. Right? And as Americans, we have a really good way of doing this. We're pros at it. We can make anything convenient. We can figure out a way to make it three steps, easy, ready to go, pop it in the microwave, hit the button, done, ready. Fast, easy, convenient. And our culture trains us we want to make our Christianity like that too. But here's the problem. Jesus will not take a back seat. He will not get in the back seat. He will not get in the passenger seat. He will not get in the trunk. We're driving down the road with our, with our Christian pals, and hey, look, there's Jesus. Let's pull over. Hey, Jesus, come on. Hey, just, just hop in the back. And Jesus is like, no. No. You have to stop the car. You have to get out of the car, take the keys out. You have to give him the keys. You have to go around because he's getting the passenger seat, and you have to let Jesus drive because he's not getting in the back seat. He doesn't work that way. When I was a young man, um, my father, and I've shared some of my testimony before um, about my dad, and for those of you who haven't heard it, I'll give you the, the very, very short uh, condensed edition, but my dad struggled with alcoholism, and you know, we didn't really have much of a relationship there for, for quite a few years, during some of my formative years, like late childhood and teen years, me and my dad just, there was nothing there, and I started going to a church, and I met a man named Pastor Derry Jolly. And to this day, I call him dad. And he had relationship, he had fellowship me in. And he had relationship, he had fellowship with me. He mentored me. He took me in as a son. And I began to just follow him. And I would come, and every morning he would open his front door, and I'd be there. And sometimes I'd see that look on his face like, you again, huh? Okay, come on in. And I would just work with him, and I would work at the church for free. I would do whatever I could to be around him because I saw something in him that I wanted. But how many of you know when I went and I hung out at the church and I followed Pastor Derry around all day, he didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't go to the church and say, hey, why don't you come with me to Parkville play some basketball? Hey, why don't you come out, hang out with me? Or, hey, how about tomorrow morning we'll meet at this time? No, I wanted what he had. I wanted to be around him, so you know what? I had to get on his schedule. So I'd show up at his house, and whatever he was doing that day, whether he was digging a ditch, whether he was ripping a toilet out of a bathroom at the church because he did all the facility stuff, guess what? If Pastor Derry was ripping a toilet out of a church, guess what Olin was doing? I was learning how to rip a toilet out of the bathroom, right? That was my job that day because when I hung around him, I got to do whatever he was doing. Let me tell you, whenever you hang out with Jesus, you get to do what Jesus is doing. Whenever you hang out with Jesus, you get to do what Jesus is doing. We're real big in the church about talking about relationship with God. Oh, God, I want a relationship with you. I just want to walk with you, Jesus. 
but do we really? Because what does Jesus do? Think about your day from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. Do you spend your day doing what Jesus does? Imagine Jesus were alive and on this earth in bodily form like he was with the disciples. It, does your daily ritual and habit and what you do at work and your family, would you, if Jesus came to your house tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and he knocked on the door and you opened the door and Jesus Christ was there, and he said, come on, hang out with me today, would that change your schedule? A little bit. But you know what, if we want to be close to Jesus, if we want to hang out with Jesus, guess what that means? It means we have to do what Jesus does. It means we have to get on Jesus' schedule because he's not going to get on our schedule. I heard a pastor say once that the Christian life is not a changed life, it's an exchanged life. Jesus doesn't come to change you a little bit. He comes to take your old life away and give you a new one. All right, so, but what does this look like? What does this look like? Let's, let's read some scripture about this this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 42 through 47. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. To get your Bibles, I'd love for you to read this with your phones out. See these words. You got your smartphone? Yeah, see, get your smartphones out. I'll give you a second. Get there, because I want you to see these words. This is the picture that God gives us in the New Testament. This is how the church started. This is what walking with Jesus, this is what it looked like. Okay? We're, we're starting in verse 42. It says, all the believers, did it say some of the believers? Like the really spiritual believers? Right? The leadership team. The church staff. It says, all the believers. My friends, to, and Pastor Troy will lead them to Jesus. Troy, I'll just bring my friends to, and Pastor Troy will lead them to Jesus. Well, the church staff is here. They, they get paid to do this stuff. Well, they want me to lead something, but I'm not a leader. Guess what? All the believers. Doesn't say some. Doesn't say a few. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Say fellowship. And to sharing in meals. I like that one. That's a good one. The meal, the meal one's not bad. I like the meal one. Um, as long as y'all can cook. Can y'all cook? All right. You can invite me over if you can cook, Jeff. Uh, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They were devoted. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They were generous. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped, say worship. They worshiped together at the temple each day, not on Sunday. It doesn't say Sunday. I don't know where we get we worship on Sunday. We don't come to church to worship on Sunday. Worship's a part of what we do. Worship's a part of everything with each other. But they worship every day. It wasn't a one-day-a-week worship. It was every day. It wasn't a one-day-a-week worship. It was every day they worshiped God. They stayed connected. 
together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord, all the while praising their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those sound convenient to saved. Does that sound convenient to you? It wasn't convenient, but they made it a priority. They made it a discipline. They devoted themselves. They were devoted. They made it a daily discipline to worship, to fellowship. So I want to talk about two with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about two things today. Two things today that I believe God is calling us to a higher level of in our daily walk. If you're one like me, putting this sermon together, showing me, me because God has been all over me, putting this sermon together. Can I get an amen? Anybody in here with me? So I'm not preaching at you, man. We're together in this because, you know what, I struggle with this too. I get at you, man. We're together. You know what, God began to show me there's two areas where I have to up my game if I want to walk. If I want to hang out with Jesus, Jesus is like, look, you're going to hang with me? you got to do what I do. You got to go, you going to hang with me, be on my schedule. That means when I say, hey, I want you to pray for that person, you can't be too busy. When I say, hey, I want you to pray for that person, you can't be too busy. There's two areas that God wants me. You can't be too busy. One is fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. The other one is worship. Say worship. Fellowship. The other talk a little bit about what fellow, fellowship is not, but we're going to talk a little bit about what it is. About what fellow, fellowship is not but we're going to talk a little bit about what it is, too. True fellowship is not convenient. True fellowship is not understand. The Greek word for fellowship, word, and this is important to understand, the Greek word for fellowship in the New Testament is koinonia, and it means something totally different from our English word fellowship. So when you hear the word fellowship, what do you think? Well, when I'm reading, this, when I'm reading the definition, I read it and I go, yep. That, that's kind of how I view fellowship sometimes. The, the English word, we think friendly association, especially with people that share one's interests. Right? Isn't that kind of what we think about? I come to church because they're Christians and I'm a Christian, so we get along. Our religious beliefs align. That's not fellowship. That's not fellowship. American fellowship is convenient. American fellowship is casual. You're my buddy, and I'll hang out with you if I have time. I'll hang out with you if you're watching the ball game I want to watch. Because if you're watching the ball game I don't want to watch, I ain't got time for you, right? I mean, we get down to that. Are you going to the restaurant I like to eat at? That's American fellowship. It doesn't mean casual fe- In the New Testament, that Greek word kononia, it doesn't mean casual fellowship. It means communion, willing. it means partnership, it means family. New Testament fellowship is not casual, it is deep. New Testament fellowship, when the disciples were together, they shared everything. No one had a need. It wasn't casual, it wasn't easy. That's not New Testament fellowship. The New Testament church was never meant to be a country club. That's not what it was supposed to look like. And that's why at Freedom House, we don't have membership. We have partnership. Pluck a couple uh, uh, dollars in the bucket and then, hey, I paid my come here and 
plus a couple bu- uh, uh, dollars in the bucket, and then, hey, I paid my membership dues, so where are, my, where are my members' benefits? I just signed up for a Costco membership the other day. I got excited. Anybody get excited about Costco? I was like, yeah, man, I was pumped. Benefits. And they gave me this bag full of books that told me about all the benefits I could get with Costco. It's amazing, right? Because I'm a member, I get benefits. But you know what? The New Testament church, it wasn't being a member. It was being a partner. Anybody in here ever been a partner in a business? When you're a partner in the business, guess what? You share in the gains, but you also share in the losses. Anybody in here married? Marriage is a partnership. Can I get an amen? You share in the gains and you share in the losses, right? Marriage isn't always easy. It is for me. Marriage, y'all missed that. It is for me. That, that was, that was, y'all are supposed to amen. The married guys are supposed to amen. Amen. Me too. You're supposed to shout, me too. Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. No credit for you. You get no points. You get no points. But you know, it's a partnership. Marriage is a partnership. Business is a partnership. Church, being a believer in Jesus is a partnership. I'm connected to you. You're connected to me. And here, get this. Whether you like it or not, some of you are thinking right now, I really don't like that bald white guy. He is really messing with my stuff right now. I I like my convenience. I do not like this guy. He can shut up. Guess what? We're brothers. You you might not like me. It don't matter. (laughs) You have to love me anyway. And guess what? I got to love you too. When believers get on your nerves, guess what? When you go to God and say, I came and died, God says, so what? I came and died on the cross of hypocrites. And sometimes we want the convenient way, but that's not the God way. That's not the God way. The New Testament fellowship is not casual. It's not the God way. The New Testament fellowship is not casual. So I've got three things I want to share with you about fellowship. And one is that fellowship it's not convenient, it's not casual, it has to be intentional. Everybody say intentional. Your fellowship has to be intentional because you know what, if you leave it up to chance, it will not happen. If you get around to it, well, I'll meet my neighbor when I get around. Sign up for a life group when I get around to it. Well, I'll meet my neighbor when I get around to it. Well, I'll share Christ with my coworker when I get around to it. Well, I'll go to this group, I'll come to church, I'll fellowship, I'll pray, I'll do this. When I get around to it, you won't get around to it. It won't happen. You have, to, you have to schedule your priorities, and then you have to prioritize your schedule. You have to put the things that matter most, and you got to block them in. you got to make sure that they're going to happen. My Bible college teacher used to always say this. He would say, if the devil can't get you bad, the devil will get you busy. And if the devil can get you busy, he will get you bad. And that has always stuck with me because you know what? I've got a tendency in my life to get wrapped up in the today. And that always comes to my mind when I start getting too busy to pray, too busy to read, too busy to serve, too busy to share my faith. You know what? That begins to come back to me that, you know what? The devil can't get me bad, but you know what? Thank you. He can. Now, I, was jo- I don't know where he's at, but I was joking with somebody before when I get sweating. I just tell people, hey, don't, don't let the shine bother you. It's just the glory. That's just, 
just the glory shining off his bald head. But thank you. But if he can get you busy, he can get you down. Don't let Satan trick you that all your good, busy stuff that's filling your life, there's a big difference between busy and productive. And let me tell you something, productive is not a bad word because Jesus says, and I had this scripture in here, I wish I'd have left it in now, but I have to find out, I think translation, or uh, John chapter 15, called to be fruit bearers. That's our calling as, as disciples, fruit bearers. That's our fruit bearer. You will bear much, he didn't say a little bit of fruit, much fruit. So there's a big bit difference between being busy and being productive. So there's a big bit difference between being busy and being productive. Lately, me and my wife and our life, ideas, some things that's just been helping me lately, me and my wife and our life, dealing with these same things. People that you want to connect with at a deeper level. People at church, friends, family, people that you never get to spend time with at a deep level. You see them at church and you shake their hand and you say, man, love you, good to see you. But then you don't see them, right? You don't go out to dinner. You don't go, schedule it right then. We're really bad about, we'll talk to somebody and we'll say, man, we need to go to dinner. We need to come over. Uh, Dave and Betty Greco. Man, I love me some Dave Greco. Anybody else love Dave Greco? For those of you who know Dave Greco, there's not a finer man on God's earth than Dave Greco. And I love me some Dave. And we, we always talk about going out to dinner and then we just never do it, right? We have these cool thing my wife has mine we have these cool things called smartphones right and and we we stay glued to them with facebook and instagram and all this junk forgive me i paid it but we stay so glued to all these things but you know what the most power we could use that as a tool to say hey let me get my calendar out. let's schedule dinner right now but we don't do that we leave that sucker in our pocket when it could actually help us when you're talking to somebody and when you want to connect with somebody Get it out. Pray for people right now. When someone tells you their child's in the hospital, my brother just got in an accident, my, my, my sisters, they're, they're getting a divorce. What's the thing we like to say as Christians? I'll pray for you, right? It's become cliche. I'll pray for you, but do we? Say, hey, pray for, if I pray for you right now, pray for them right then. Pray for them right then. Yeah, you clap. That's okay. <laughs> Pray for them right then. Sometimes I'm at work and I'm on the phone with somebody, and I have, I have realtors sometimes telling me stuff. Hey, my sister's in the hospital. You mind if I pray for you? Guy who used to run a credit program, he's a, 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 a pastor as well, and I remember going by his office many times, and he would have people in there, and he'd be talking business with them, and they would just start sharing something with their life, and you would walk by his door, and you would hear him in there, Father, thank you, and you just hear him praying, man, and you're just like, man, we're in an office, you know, but you feel the Holy Spirit like, wow. People would come out of there in tears, just thank you so much. Because he was on Jesus' schedule. Was it convenient? He was busy, but he made it, uh, he, he made it a priority. And sign up for a life group. If you haven't signed up for a house party, do that. Do that today. The other thing about fellowship is fellowship is risky. Everybody say risky. Fellowship's risky. It's not convenient. If you want to have deep, lasting fellowship with other believers, you're going to have to take a risk. Sometimes we think, man, I don't, I don't want to let people know the real me. But I heard Pastor Chip Ingram say this recently. He said, you know what pride is? He said, pride is presenting a false image of yourself to other people. And here's the problem with presenting this false image of yourself and not letting anyone close, not being vulnerable. He said, all true deep relationship, all authentic relationship begins 
with risk, with vulnerability. Because when you walk in pride and you put out a false image to everyone else of somebody you're not, in time with them, you think, man, I think they like me. Here's the thing. Did they really? Some time with them, you think, man, I think they like me. Here's the thing. Did they really? Because it wasn't the real you. If people reject you, no big deal, right? Because it wasn't the real me. So there's no depth of rejection. We hide behind this false image of somebody we want everyone else to think we really are. But here's the problem with that. If there's no depth, if there's no depth in the rejection, there can be no depth in the connection. If you don't, there can be no depth in the connection. If you don't risk, if you don't gamble a little bit with that, is somebody going to hurt you eventually? Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. There's going to be some people that betray you, that stab you in the back. That's part of life. But if you don't ever take the risk and put it out there, you'll never have the depth of connection that God wants us to have in true community. Fellowship is not convenient. It's risky. The last thing is fellowship is powerful. Say powerful. Convenient fellowship is not powerful, but true fellowship is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Risk creates the opportunity for faith. If you never take a risk, you never open up the opportunity to believe God. If you never take a risk, you never open up the opportunity to get hurt, but you also never open up the opportunity to believe. You can't operate in faith where there is no risk. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a risk? They stood before that king and they said, our God is able to deliver us, but king, hear us. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow. He said, I'll throw you in that furnace right now. We read all that King's English in the New, you know, in the, the King James Version growing up. Oh, thou shalt fall into the burning furnace. Let me tell you, that was a heated, a heated conversation. The king was upset. They were embarrassing him in front of all his men. Let me tell you something. They could see the fire in his eyes. When he looked at them, he said, let me tell you something, boy. You're going to bow right now. I'm going to throw you in that fire right now. They said, we're not careful to answer you. We're not even careful to answer you. Throw us in because God will deliver us. They took a great risk. But if they had taken no risk, there'd be no miracle. None of the stories in the Bible would be there if no one took a risk. That our in all the tests, the things, the testimonies that your neighbors and your friends and the people connected with all the things, the testimonies that your neighbors and your friends and the people connected with all the people connected with Freedom House Church needs to hear, it's on the other side of someone taking a risk. You gotta get up to that that cliff and you gotta risk. You've got to trust God. What about Abraham? He's called the father of faith. Man, Abraham had the knife right here. Those of you that are parents, can you imagine your son, your daughter having the And we call him the father. He took a risk. And we call him the father of faith. If you don't, you have to stretch it to build it. If you don't go to the gym and you don't work out and you don't stretch those muscles and tear those muscles and do things, you know what? There's no growth. And our faith is the same way. Turn to Acts chapter 4 real quick. This is verse 29 through 35. 
And it says, now, O Lord, hear their threats. Peter and John have been questioned by the religious leaders. They've been threatened. You stop preaching this Jesus. You stop it. We're going to kill you. We're going to imprison you. They were threatening them, but they had to let them go because there was going to be a riot. All the people, they had done a miracle, so all the people were happy. So they were like, man, we, we got to let them go. So they let them go, and they come back to the church. And they're praying, oh, God, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Okay, coming to church in the very building where it begins to shake. Why? Because if you go on to read the, the rest of the scripture, true New Testament fellowship. They were in a community together. They were partners. They shared in the risk, and they shared in the reward. And when they begin to pray to God, started with hear their threats. There was a risk. Started with hear their threats. There was a risk. But they were willing to go beyond the risk. I heard, I heard a pastor say recently, he said he'd been praying for a long time that for 20 years he said that he would see a miraculous sign when he's preaching. He said, God, I want you to just come down and I just want you to bring the power. I want you to do a miracle, God, while I'm preaching in front of this church. And he, he was, you know, he's preaching. And he said, he up in front of this church and he, he was, you know, he's preaching. And he said he got mad at God and he, he remembered praying to God and getting just really kind of sarcastic with God, kind of mad with God. God, why don't you ever do a miracle? God, why, why don't I see your power like in the New Testament? And he said, God spoke to him. He said, in the New Testament, they were under risk of death. They were preaching the gospel to the lost. He said, you're in a room with several hundred Christians that like and clap for you. No risk, no power. And some of us wonder, why does my faith have no power? Are you taking a risk? My connection, my fellowship has no power. Are you taking a risk? I don't feel like I really know anybody here. Are you taking a risk? You have to take a risk. I'm going to end with this. True fellowship is fueled by worship. True fellowship is fueled by worship. The way that these men and women you read about in Scripture were able to step out in faith was because they had spent time worshiping God. And we get worship all mixed up. And don't take this wrong, what I'm about to say. But we are not called to be daily devotionalists. Well, I read my daily devotional every day. And God is so impressed. Okay, don't, don't hear me wrong. Devotionals are great, man. I, okay, don't, don't hear me wrong. Devotionals are great. Man, I've read some devotionals that rock my world. They're great devotionals. There's nothing wrong with them. But here's what we do in the church. We get daily devotional time, which we can make convenient. Check, spent my fifth. True worship is never convenient. True worship is, here's the difference. Worship, when you look up the word for worship, it, in its truest sense, it means to lay down, to prostrate oneself, to lay out before God as if dead. Because he is so much higher than me. He is so much more holy than me. He is so much higher than I am. Man, I'm like a dead man before. I have to just lay my face in the dirt. 
because I'm submitted wholly to him. God, whatever you want to do, just, man, you're the boss. That's worship. And worship is not singing a song. It's not saying a prayer. It's not coming to church. Worship is anything. True worship to submit yourself to the will of God. True to his will. And you can't do that convenient to his will. Every time you go to God and say, God, I want to worship you, it's going to cost you something. His presence, the true power and presence of the almighty God, the God that created the world, the universe, you're going to fall prostrate before him. You're going to say, God, I give up me. God, whatever you want today. And he's going to say, that person I've been nudging you today, that's not worship. But God, I'm busy today. That's not God is not worship. But God is not worship. And when you go to God every day and you worship, if it's for five minutes, true worship, God, I'll do anything, any for five minutes, true worship, God, I'll do anything, anything you want me to do, God, I'm so yielded to you, God, just lead me, guide me, tell me what to do, Jesus, and I'll do it. Your fellowship will be fueled. There will be power in true worship. Worship is always, 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 always tied to obedience. You can't worship without obedience. But you have to obey. Last scripture, guys, John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, obedience, you will abide in my love, worship. If you keep my commandments, obedience, you will abide in my love, worship, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may overflow. And that's when our fellowship has power, when our joy is overflowing. Has power when our joy is overflowing. The world will know we are his disciples by our love one for another. Because our joy is overflowing and I can't wait to see you and connect with you because you're my brother. And we're partners. We're family. Does that sound convenient to you? not convenient, but it's worth it. Now, I'm going to close with this. And I, what I'd like you to do, begin to think, and you probably, most of you probably already done this. Begin to think, picture somebody in your, in your mind, picture their face. Somebody that you need to connect with today. Maybe it's someone that's not even a believer, someone that you need to share the gospel with. you got to take a risk. Maybe it's someone in this church that you need to connect with at a deeper level. You need to take a risk. I want you to picture them in your mind's eye. See their face. But I want you to begin to pray, and I want you to begin to worship, because God can give you the courage to step out. You don't do this on your own. God will give you the courage to step out. He'll make you like him. And when you go, and I said, remember, you walk with Jesus every day. You got to do what Jesus is doing. Remember that? You got to do what Jesus is doing, and you got to be on Jesus' schedule, and you've got to follow Jesus. Guess what the good part is, though? 
When you get on Jesus' schedule and you do what Jesus does and you hang out with Jesus, guess what? You begin to think like Jesus. You begin to see like Jesus. You begin to get Jesus' heart. And you begin to see love and compassion. You begin to see people through Jesus' eyes. That's the fears and years ago. I was just gotten married. We hadn't been married that long. And I remember this pastor preaching about marriage and he was he was really hammering the guys you know pre- preachers we always do that we hammer the guys we let the, the ladies off the hook but we hammer the guys no, you preachers we always do that we hammer the guys and we let the, the ladies going after us that means you got to lay down your life for your wife you got to you know going after us to submit to your to your husbands but men you have to lay down your life give up everything you always prefer you lay down your life right first and i just had this little moment of sarcasm with god and i said god that's not give up everything i have to lay down my whole life and God just kind of spoke to me, and he said, when you were pursuing Tammy to get married, you'd do anything. And I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> and God asked me, he said, why? He said, why? Well, was it for her submission? just wanted to be with her and God said that's why I did it I just wanted you Jesus died on that cross he didn't want your submission he doesn't need your money he looked through time he saw your faith and he said I just want you I want you that intimate fellowship And when we walk with Jesus, we'll give him all. We'll look at other people and we'll think, man, God wants you. God wants you. God wants you. We'll have his love. Amen? Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I just thank you today that you've called us to inconvenient, deep, risk. 